a lot going on out there in the financial world. What would Warren Buffett do? We'll cover that and more today. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions. He's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. I know that by the time this thing gets released, there will be a fancy title. Because okay. we have great people work behind the scenes That's to right. make sure that things Much are clickable than the two and of smart, us. definitely <laughs> smarter. Than, so I titled this thing "2017 Warren Buffett's Letter to Berkshire Shareholders." You oh, I it? wonder what this show is going to be about, <laughs> man. That's like the most literal title possible. I took that directly off of the Berkshire Hathaway awesome. website. So, guys, if you if you don't know, if you're new to the Money Guy family. Welcome, because you're in for a treat, because we have an annual tradition. Mm-hmm. A lot of people get excited about the month of March, and there's a lot going on in sure. March. Let's, let's talk about it. We have St. Patrick's Day. Yep, that's a big one. We have March Madness. Also a big one. With the NCAA basketball. And then, but that's not what we get excited about. We get excited about the tax filing oh, there, deadlines, all, there's right? Also, there's also, we're talking about Mardi Gras. Mardi Gras, that's a Mardi Gras, yeah. that's a yeah. young man's, a young lady's game, but yeah. um, we, we don't, we get excited about Warren Buffett releasing his letter to shareholders. And so stop right there. If you're not someone who goes out there and reads Warren's letter every year, you should start doing that. Just archive that away. That should be something you start to do every oh, year. Oh, come on. Or you could just listen to the show every year. <laughs> come on. I mean, let's let's get legit here. This is because we're going to give you what Warren says, but then we're going to put our flavor on it. So you're almost, you're getting two birds with one stone. That's awesome. I love it. So, so that's the way. So this thing actually came out on February 24th. So I know I said I hyped up March, but it is one of those things that most of us consume this thing in March. And let's face it, this is when the money guy covers this, this right. is in March. So this is part of our March madness. So here, here's the way I wanted to set this up. Before I get into the details of this, you gotta go check out the website at moneyguy.com. You gotta give us your email address because we cover this. We cover estate planning, retirement planning, um, investment planning. I mean, there is nothing. We even talk about how you save money on your utilities. We talk about how you can go to Disney World a little bit cheaper. We cover it all, but you have to go to moneyguy.com. You have to give us your email address. And then if you also, if you like our voice, you're like, man, those sound like some Southern gentlemen right there. <laughs> but you want to know what we look like, you got to go out to the YouTube channel yep. as well. So um, just to set up how we did this. I actually read through the the entire letter to shareholders, and then I, I kind of cut and splice the quotes that Warren, the nuggets of information that Nugget that that Warren was sharing, and then I tried to add my own little flair to it. And I figured we'd go through these quotes and then let you know we we kind of do what flavor. we do. We we do the money guy love that we like to do. So if I'm someone listening and I'm not accustomed to reading specifically the Berkshire Hathaway letter to shareholders. Uh, should I be nervous that, um, you know, if I'm not like a person looking at individual companies, you know, when I hear a letter to shareholders, I'm thinking like income statements and balance sheets and all these uh, nerdy accounts. Is that basically what the letter to shareholders is every year? I mean, it's kind of a hybrid. I mean, without a doubt, Warren will go deep. If you want to know about their insurance, you know, business, you can look into that. If you want to know what they're doing over at NetJets, they're going to get into the details of the numbers with that. And it does have tables and numbers and other things if you really want to get nerdy. But there's always, usually towards the back of it, there's where Warren gives his love of common sense things that have kind of pushed him forward. And so that's what I really do. I, I, I say that just because it is 
self-promoting, but I really do believe we do a great job of going through the highlights as well as kind of bringing it down to the level if you don't care about gap. Because you're going to see there's a comment about generally accepted accounting principles. We're going to be your good tour guide, and that's really what we are. We're a good tour guide to help make sure that you understand what Warren is saying. And here's the other thing you're going to notice, because we've been doing this for going on a decade, over a decade now. Um, Warren repeats himself, but he'll restructure it just a little bit differently. So we're going to be able to give you some echoes, because I think it's important. When when concepts show up not once, not twice, I mean, but ten times, you start going, okay, that's probably one you ought to just take down yeah. and put in and follow away in the brain because it's going to be very powerful for your wallet. Exactly right. So we're going to jump right into these. I thought the first two quotes that I pulled down really showed some distor- distortions are coming to the markets. Mm-hmm. And you need to be careful. Anybody who invests, you need to understand two big things have happened in the last year that will impact how companies report their earnings. Um, and, and the first one is the tax reform and upcoming what that impact is on corporate income. Sure. And if, um, I thought this was kind of interesting because it shows you that 2018 is going to be a very unique year when it comes to earnings and how companies have to report this because listen to this quote from Warren. It said, The $65 billion gain is nonetheless real, meaning that Berkshire Hathaway appreciated by $65 billion since last year. Do you, do you know how big Berkshire Hathaway is, by the way, Bo? I, no, I don't. You don't need to look that up? I looked it up. Oh, okay. Well, I'll... It's $702 billion in assets wow. and $348 billion of equity after okay. you take out liabilities and so forth. So so you can see to have an increase of $65 billion is a big deal. Yeah, that's substantial. So he goes on. He says, rest of, he says but only $36 billion came from Berkshire's operations. The remaining $29 billion was delivered to us in December when Congress rewrote the U.S. tax code. I that, love, that's I love huge. the way he writes, though. Like, he says that $29 billion was delivered to us. Like, somebody just handed him a present. And that's kind of what happened. And so uh, what he's saying is, and to correct me if I'm wrong in this, had the tax code not been changed, then their, you know, their profit or their earnings would have been listed at $36 billion as opposed to $25. That's exactly right. Yeah. So this is a, a big batch of money that is coming their way. And, and here's what's interesting about this tax change. I mean, because you realize we dropped down to 21% for C-corporations. Right. I mean, that is a substantial drop. So this is going to somehow work its way through the economy. We'll see. It still remains to be seen, but sure. it, but it's pretty optimistic based upon what what um, Mr. Buffett had to say. And so, you know, if, uh, if I'm uh, just a normal, average, everyday investor out there, and I hear that this company, Berkshire Hathaway, uh, last year might have had 36 billion, but now it's 65 billion. What are the real world consequences of that? How will that affect me as an everyday investor? What are some things that I need to be looking at? Well, you just need to be thinking about, okay, if we know that the majority of companies, all the companies that are in the S&P 500 to be a public company, these guys are structured the same way as Berkshire Hathaway. A lot of this is going to trickle down into your 401k. It's going to trickle down into your Roth IRA, sure. your rollover IRA. However you save, you need to be mindful of Warren is showing us that there's a big impact here. Okay. So uh, pay attention. And it's the second thing, because this is a good one. I'd put market distortions and TV talking heads could be bad for your wallet in the coming year. And what I mean by that is, is that Warren shares with us that there is a brand new accounting principle that they are required by law to follow. It's a gap principle, okay. which basically says that they have to now recognize the gains or losses of unrealized gains or losses. I mean, these are stocks. Realize... 
Warren Buffett and Berkshire Hathaway, they have 170 billion of marketable stocks, meaning okay. they go out there and buy Coca-Cola. IBM, Wells Fargo, and others, and they just have ownership. Southwest Airlines. Right. There's a whole list. You go to the letter shareholders, they'll give you the list of what they own. They own those stocks. And in the past, they, because they want to show you the income based upon operations, because realize Berkshire Hathaway is set up in a unique way. Mm-hmm. They, a lot of people, and I think that's where they think they think they can go out there and replicate what Warren does by buying General Electric, right? Or, or doing something like, or Bank of America, like right. you know, because those are some of his famous deals. It's hard when you realize that only twenty four percent of Berkshire Hathaway's assets are coming from those market marketable stocks, the stocks you and I can buy. The majority of their business revenue and operations operational profit is coming from private businesses. Coming to Berkshire Hathaway, and that's where I said it. He's shooting fish in the barrel. They come to him. They go out there and they look for some of these, and I'm going to get into that in a minute. But he also has a lot of deals that come to him, and these are great businesses that we'd all love to be a part of that he gets to bring into the Berkshire Hathaway family. So it's, it's hard to reproduce what he's doing. So he's saying that the public needs to be aware of what profit is from operations. That's going to be harder now that they have to also include this $170 billion in the valuation it has on January and how that's December or different on you know December or however their year end is, right. that is going to create some fluctuations. And his concern, and I'm worried about this for all of our, our viewers and anybody else who's an investor, this could create some distortions. And the fact that the guys, you know how it is. When a company releases earnings, uh-huh. it's at the, at the close of business. The, the, the stock bell rings at 4 p.m. Eastern. Right. Right after it's the bell rings, they start earnings get released, mm-hmm. and pundits immediately go out there and they try to figure out is it good news, bad news, and they give an opinion really quick. And there's right. a whole race to be the first one to give the opinion. Warren is saying is be careful because some of those off the cuff predictions or reads of the earnings are probably going to be wrong sure. because they're going to be either inflated or they're going to be depressed. Because of what's going on with with the the change in market value of stocks they might own. Yeah, and I, I love the way that he that he wraps this up in this little quote quotation that we pulled out. It says, uh, "Consequently, media reports sometimes highlight figures that unnecessarily frighten or encourage many readers or viewers." Meaning that you're hearing some stuff that might cause you to feel or behave one way when realistically it hasn't changed the under underlying fundamentals of the business, and so. When we think about, okay, well, what's Warren saying to us as the average investor? You need to listen for those things that come out that might frighten everyone else because that's the opportunity. That's when you should be, that's when you should seize the opportunity. And then the things that encourage people or maybe they get a little too excited, a little overheated, that's when you kind of need to take a step back and think, are things really as good as they seem? It's that whole echo. And anybody who's a student of, of, of Warren Buffett and Berkshire Hathaway knows be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful. Exactly I mean, that is right. exactly what that is an echo of. So let's get into what is, because I told you that, uh, you know, 76% of Berkshire Hathaway is actually these private businesses that have come into them. What's the four traits of a successful business for them to consider acquiring or bringing them into the family? Um, and then what's the one trait required to become that part? So there's the four traits that every business has to have. Okay. And then there's one trait that he requires for him to actually turn you into family. Okay. So here's here's the quote. In our search for new standalone businesses, the key qualities we seek are durable competitive strengths. Got it. 
That's a quote. Uh, that's a that's a the moat. He, okay. If you've read these things, you'll know he's always looking for a moat around any business right. that he's buying. He wants to make sure that they can do this for years going forward. So durable competitive strengths, able and high grade management. Because Warren doesn't want to get in there and run payroll every that's month. Right. I mean, without a doubt, Warren Buffett is not running payroll. He wants to know that there's good managers already running this company that will continue to do the day to day operations. Good returns on the net tangible assets required to operate the business. Okay. This makes me think of C's candy because he's right. always talking about he got an asset much cheaper than what people realized it was right. worth when it was bought. The opportunities for internal growth at attractive returns. Okay. And here's the big one. This is the one that you have to have if you want to be in business with Warren Buffett. A sensible purchase price. So Warren brags on all these companies, but then he says, look, I'm not overpaying. I'm not going to go out there and overpay for anybody who comes to me. That's why I tell you, he has got the greatest business model ever. I mean, it really is once you get the, the, the title of Oracle from Omaha and you have, and think about the, 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 the businesses that are coming to him. This is what I think is so important for Warren Buffett is that if you're successful, all these companies, I'm not, I'm not talking about mom and pop companies. Mm-hmm. These are companies where the, we're talking about Many millionaires yeah. over. So, I mean, these sure. families are multi-generational wealth here. Tell me there's not a better, you know, trophy to yeah. put up on the shelf than to say, you know what, I sold my business to Warren Buffett, to Warren Buffett yeah. in Berkshire Hathaway. And that's what's going on because we're going to talk about in a minute some of the deals that they did. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and you see friends are telling their other rich friends, hey, I had such a great experience. You ought to consider yeah. working with Berkshire Hathaway. What, what a great business model they have set up. And so then he talks about uh, specifically 2017 and some decisions they made. And he said that one of the things that he really struggled with last year were finding businesses at those sensible prices. Because as everyone knows, 2017 was a fantastic year for investors. It was a great year for businesses. And in his opinion, there weren't a lot of really great buys out there available for him because he couldn't hit that last metric, that reasonable purchase price. And, and he talked about, and this is something I think you, the herd mentality, you have to be so careful mm-hmm. that I think he talked about CEOs that are basically hammers looking for nails. That's right. And, and they are, you know, going out there trying to make a deal work no matter what. He mm-hmm. even gives a quote. He says, don't ask a barber if you need a haircut. <laughs> I mean, because there is a lot of that that's going on. I think that companies will go out there and they'll try to find an aggressive CEO that is going to turn them into a better company. And you can think about this with your own personal life as well, is that there are people, whether it's an investment manager, whether it's a financial advisor, that they're going to brag about all the great things that they can do for you. But you need to think about what is really, does it does it hit all those four things, those four traits that we talked about? And then also, am I getting a good value on what I'm purchasing, because I think that you have to be careful getting caught up in the, the in the, the the competitive nature of being in a good market and everybody feeling like, hey, this is the time to right. to take action on it. Um, I, I thought it was an important. There was a quote on taking unnecessary risk after you've already won the game. Mm-hmm. This is a key one I have to work with when we talk to prospects, we talk to clients. We all want to make more money. I mean, I think it's just a human nature thing. For you sure. want to be successful, you want to grow, but there does come a point. To where you have, from a financial standpoint, built up enough assets that you've won the game. Yeah. I mean, you kind of have to screw it up for this thing to come off sure. the tracks. We call that financial independence. You've, you've reached financial independence. So that doesn't mean you, you necessarily just close shopping. You don't want to continue to try to grow assets and, and create a legacy, you know, fund charity, as well right. as make sure that other goals that you have are fulfilled. 
But it is one of those things where you need to be mindful that you're not letting the greed outweigh the risk of what you're doing. Right. So I thought it was interesting here. Here's here's the quote from Warren. It says, and it's talking about debt because yeah. we have we we've done a podcast. It was probably a month, month and a half ago, where it seemed like it was crazy to me. Within two weeks, we had two prospects slash clients yeah. that were pitched leveraging their paid off houses to go invest Best into in financial market, assets or buy life insurance. It was something crazy like that, Bo, from my memory. That's and, right. and listen to this. This is what would Warren think of that? It says, quote, our aversion to leverage has dampened our returns over the years, but Charlie and I sleep well. Charlie Munger, by the way. Both of us believe it is insane to risk what you have and need in order to obtain what you don't need. Read, hold on, read that sentence again. I think that's a good one. Both of us, uh, both of us believe it is insane to risk what you have and need in order to obtain what you don't need. That just that makes so much You've common won sense. The game. But how many times do we see people screw that up? Keep going, and then we'll go on our soapbox. We held this view 50 years ago when we each ran an investment partnership funded by a few friends and relatives who trusted us. We also hold it today after a million or so partners, and use quote, partners, have joined us at Berkshire. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. So, I mean, I think that there is so many ways you can push this towards your personal mm-hmm. finances. You know, don't, don't take on more debt than you sure. need. Try to have the debt paid off. I mean, right. by goodness sake, when you hit retirement, you should not have a mortgage right. if, at all help, if at all possible. It's, it's things like that that I think can be applied where you understand your needs versus your wants and, and what is the right level of risk to take. You know, I, I was thinking about, Brian, there's a uh, profession, we won't say what profession is, but this profession often requires folks to go to school for a long time, like seven to ten years. They don't generally tend to make a huge <laughs> income in those seven to ten years while they're preparing to get on the workforce. Right. But then when they get out in the workforce, their income jumps up really high, really, really strong. And how often do we see folks specifically in this field that do go out there and over leverage themselves or take on more risk? They, they haven't won the game yet. They're still kind of in the early stage of building, but their, their income is now at a place where they can do some pretty incredible things. And rather than doing that, they go buy the fancy car and the expensive home and the doodad. Uh, how often do we see people get themselves in that situation instead of recognizing they're really, they can take some risk off the table because now they have the means to be able to build towards financial independence. I think a lot of that, everything you just described, is so many Americans, so many investors, they get caught up in the consumption society. Right. I mean, it really is. And look, I have nothing. I was even thinking about it this morning. It's because I have a book over here on the shelves. We had a, a, a YouTube listener, who a viewer, who asked us what books are behind us. And one of them is Stop Acting Rich. Yep. It's, a, it's the Dr. Thomas Stanley book, where he does explain that there are people who can... They have enough base level of assets that cons- consumption is not overall bad. It's when you're doing things, you're faking your success. Right. I mean, there's nothing wrong with having nice shoes. Like the majority of successful people usually do buy nicer shoes. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that if you can afford it and do it smart. But don't go and f- don't run up a credit card bill right. to go buy those fancy shoes exactly that right. Dr. Stanley talks about. And I think that that is that's that's the point you're getting as there is an order of operations, exactly and you need right. to make sure you don't fake it. Hey, if you are someone who's curious about the books we have on our shelf or you're, li- you're listening to this, uh, go check out our last video. We actually put out there all the books that are out here if you want to you know. Oh, it's down in, down in the comments section. Down in the comments section, yep. Yeah. Um, avoid the herd and know what you believe. So this is another quote. It says, in the meantime, we will stick with our simple guidelines. The less prudence with which others conduct their affairs, the greater the prudence with which we must conduct our own. I mean, that is a perfect bookend to what we were just talking about. So we'll move on to, to the next one, which was a point 
I thought was important was plan for a rainy day and be self-sufficient. Okay. I think that this is an important one. I'll just read the quote and then we can talk about it. It says, Charlie and I never will operate Berkshire in a manner that depends on the kindness of strangers or even that friends who may be facing liquidity problems of their own. Because realize what Warren is getting at, and I know I keep interrupting it, but I think it's important to give perspective, is that when you're hurting, likely your friends and relatives, because think about downturns happen, you know, and this is something we're working on a retirement plan. I was working, talking with Carter and I said, look, we have two things. He had a business asset and then he had the income that comes from the business. And I said, those things will both get impacted at the same time. Right. You know, when that, if, if the company comes off the rails, that pension he thinks he's going to get is going to be impacted at the same time that the value of the company is going to go away as That's well. Right. So you have to understand we're all in this together. So I'll repeat it. Charlie and I never will operate Berkshire, Berkshire in a manner that depends on the kindness of strangers or even that of friends who may be facing liquidity problems of their own. During the 2008 and 2009 crisis, crisis, we liked having treasury bills, loads of treasury bills, that protected us from having to rely on funding sources such as bank lines or commercial paper. We have intentionally constructed Berkshire in a manner that will allow it to be comfortably withstand economic discontinuities, including such extremes as extended market closures. This is what he said. We keep emergency reserves, and we do it for the reason that when we need them the most, we need them to be there. And so that's why he operates Berkshire in and, that and way. And you're going to hear, this is a common theme. I mean, I think Warren, and it, it follows the theme, if I'm giving a theme for this annual shareholder, he felt like things might be getting a little rich. Sure. And then he's also saying, guys, before you get so irrational exuberant, as Alan Greenspan once said, why don't you consider making sure that you have your cash reserves because sure. this is going to come up again to make sure that you have rainy day funds and that you're self-sufficient. And I just want to speak to two other things, and we see this all the time. Um, we talk to a lot of folks who say, you know what, guys, I, I don't need cash reserves. I have a huge income. I just make way more than I spend. I don't need cash reserves because my income can substantiate that. Or someone who says, you know, I don't need cash reserves. I have a lot of equity in my home. I have that that piggy bank. I'm there. guilty of char- charged on that one. Or even someone who says, you know, I don't need cash reserves. I've got a big portfolio. I will go ahead and make this assessment. No matter who you are out there, I'm willing to bet you don't have cash flow, equity, or assets bigger than Warren Buffett's. And he still keeps a cash reserve. So that's something you should think and, about. And here's a perfect, I'm doing this out of order now because we, we were in chronological, but I think it's important. Here's another quote. It says, at year end, Berkshire held $116 billion in cash and U.S. Treasury bills, whose average matur- maturity was 88 days. So mm-hmm. really short-term ultra paper, short term. Yeah. Up from $86 billion at year end 2016. This extraordinary liquidity earns only a pittance and is far beyond the level Charlie and I wish Berkshire to have. Our smiles will broaden when we have redeployed Berkshire's excess funds into more productive assets. So be prepared to be underwhelmed with how your cash performs. But here's the truth of the matter, is that this could be very valuable to you in the future. So I wanted wanted to kind of give some planning advice here on what I think, because you read this and you go, so should I put everything in cash? I mean, what what is Warren getting at here with what does this mean for the average investor and what they should be doing? And, and this is what I thought was interesting is that if you don't have a cash management plan, 
Everybody's like, cash management. Well, is it, does he mean budget? No, he's talking about a budget. Got to be. Budgets, I like budgets too, but budgets are more, I consider that kind of basic. That's a given. I'm counting on people to already have their basic budget understood. Sure. There's great resources out there. A cash management plan looks into the future. Mm-hmm. It's talking about future dollars, what we're going to do with this, not looking in the rearview mirror like a budget does. Right. You can use a budget as a tool to help you with your cash management, right. but this also gets into what I call for scarcity. You guys have heard us talk about you want to have your money prioritized. If you're trying to figure out, do I just keep throwing it in cash? Get the cash reserves filled mm-hmm. up. We want, we know we need the cash reserves filled up. That's the three to six months. If you're pre-retirement, if you're retirement, that number might be substantially higher. Right. But for the average person, it's going to be three to six months. After you do that, you want to start thinking about how do we get to 15 to 20% of saving for the future, right. for building financial independence. And then for, you pile on top of that, how do I pay down my debt so that I truly am going to be debt-free before I reach this financial independence? Because I don't want to have any obligations right. when I'm considering myself truly financial independent. It's at that point, if you're funding those goals, if you've got the cash reserves, you've got your financial independence, and you've got your debt money being funded, there are a portion of you that still have extra cash. Build it up. There's nothing wrong with having a little extra cash because guess what happens? When, and, and this is not in here and I didn't put it in my notes, when it rains opportunity, Warren Buffett talks about this, and this is Warren Buffett stuff, he talks about you don't want to pull a thimble out. That's right. You want to pull a bucket. I mean, I can't remember, it depends on which year you read Sometimes this thing. Sometimes it's a bathtub. It's, it's a bathtub, <laughs> it's a bucket, it doesn't matter, it's a, you know, he just says you need to have the opportunity when everybody else is running for the exits, you're actually trying to get in there and buy some of that stuff that's super cheap. So that's where you'll make a great deal of money if you can set up the other stuff with the cash management plan. He's not saying stay, because we're going to get into the S&P 500 in a minute. I don't think, I don't want you to misconstrue this and think, Warren's just saying build up cash until the perfect time comes. I don't know that he would say that, because based upon his bet that he did with the S&P 500, there's nothing wrong with having some foundational savings that are just happening automatically. That's why I talk about the forced scarcity. But then you also have a plan for how do I, if I have enough success that I can have even more powder money, how do I get beyond just the automatic savings? And so I want to make sure, I'm going to repeat what you just said to make sure that it really sinks in. If I'm not already saving 15 to 20%, and that's in my 401k, or that's in my IRAs, or that's in a taxable brokerage account, if I'm not already doing that, I don't need to be in the camp of building up cash for the next opportunity. I need to get my automatic savings moving in the right direction right now. That's the order of operations. I say that just because I always have concerns that we think things are starting to look, I mean, it's been a good run. I mean, it has been, but nobody really knows. I mean, this thing, could it go two more years, three years? We don't know. I don't want you sitting on the sideline because you're going to see the value of money working for you, that army of dollar bills is tremendously important. And it's hard to time it. I mean, it really is so hard to know how to time. Because remember, Warren has 76% of his money in these private deals. Only 24% is coming from the marketable securities you and I buy. So just be careful and realize that that keep some perspective so you don't think that you're the perfect timer and you're going to be the next Warren Buffett because he's buying things. We'll go into it deeper, Mm -hmm. like I said, when he talks about the S&P 500. Um, well, this ties into it. I mean, I didn't even, Warren obviously meant to yeah. go this way, but it says buy based upon value and less on momentum. It's hard to screw up a long-term large cap portfolio. That's, that's my overview, the highlight, because here's the quote. You left out, just because you left out a word there, and I see it on my, you said, 
It's hard to screw up a long-term large cap portfolio. You left out a word there. I think that's important. And it's in a point above the U.S. A large cap U.S. US the United States. United States. Yeah, I think it's so interesting. Warren, I think in the article, he said almost ninety percent of our investments are made in the United States. America's economic soil remains fertile. It, 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 with all the noise that we hear, I mean, I think it's cool that we just came through the Olympics. Mm-hmm. It's basically Warren just giving a USA, <laughs> USA. He just gave a chant, so so that's that's patriotic. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty cool. Warren, oh, you know, Warren is still he's he's out there and he's is putting his money where, where the, the mouth, mouth is on, right. on on talking about this stuff too. So here's the quote talking about be careful of momentum investing. It says, Charlie and I view the marketable common stocks that Berkshire owns as interest in businesses, not as ticker symbols to be bought or sold based upon their chart, their patterns, the target prices of analysts, or the opinions of media pundits. Instead, we simply believe that if the businesses of the investees are successful, and he put in parentheses, as we believe most will be, our investments will be successful as well. Sometimes the payoffs to us will be modest. Occasionally, the cash register will ring loudly. And sometimes I will make expensive mistakes. Overall and over time, we should get decent results. In America, equity investors have the wind at their back. Man, I like it that. Just, I feel so optimistic. I mean, he just, oh, he, paint, he paints that beautifully. But th- this gets into the trading even more. It says, quote, The connection of value building to retained earnings that I've just described will be impossible to detect in the short term. Mm-hmm. Stocks surge and swoon, seemingly untethered to any year-to-year buildup in their underlying value. Over time, however, Ben Graham's off-quoted maxim proves true. In the short run, the market is a voting machine. In the long run, however, it becomes a weighing machine. That's so true. Don't time the markets. That's why I think he would agree a cash management plan where you are creating automatic investments, no matter what we perceive as overvalued, undervalued, is going to do well because even as Warren says, the wind is at your back right. if you just let it work. Um, here's the thing I want to talk about because people, we, we've already hit on this a little bit, Bo, but handicap by debt. Yeah. I mean, we even did a podcast talking about the walking debt. The walking debt. You know, right. you know, play up on the zombies that you are when you have this, right. this heavy weight. And Warren is just saying it, he is obviously very adverse to debt. And, and, you know, when it comes to investing and there's a way a lot of people, if you're, if you're new to investing, you don't realize that there are ways that you can essentially amp up your performance by leverage. That's right. That's, that's the fancy word for debt is leverage where you can go borrow to grow how big your returns are. You think about, it, we already naturally do this with our personal residences. Mm-hmm. When you buy a house, you put down 20%. The other 80% is coming from, from the mortgage. That is leverage. That's that is right. a leveraged asset when you do that. So here's Warren's advice about debt when it comes to investing. It says, avoid the siren song of leveraged debt. And, and here's what he did. He's, he's got from 1973 to, he goes through some periods. These are the biggest d- d- drops. So from 1973 to 75, there was a 59% drop in the markets. From 87, this is one month from October 2nd of 87 to October 27th, the market lost 37%. Oof. Yeah, that was the the Black Monday, Ooh. so that was horrible. And then from June of '98 to to March of 2000, market lost 48.9 percent. Okay. From September of 2008 to March 5th of 2009, the market lost 50.7. Huge drops. And this is his quote. He says, "This table offers the strongest argument I can muster against ever using borrowed money to own stocks. 
there is simply no telling how far stocks can fall in a short period. Even if your borrowings are small and your positions aren't immediately threatened by the plunging market, your mind may well become rattled by scary headlines and breathless commentary. He's saying be be fearful of yourself too. And an unsettled mind will not make good decisions. I mean, if you take that quote with the previous quote about in the short term, it's a voting Mm-hmm. voting machine versus in the long term it's a weighing, weighing machine. machine and you read that and you go wait a minute those are in conflict with yeah. each other you're like why would i be an investor if i know i could lose 50 percent of my money over a three-year period what warren is saying is i think and we'll get into it in a minute about risk mm-hmm. is that you have to understand to be an investor don't lock your money up in the market unless you can walk away from it for right. five to seven years if you're not walking away from your money as a long-term investor if you think that you know, you're saving for an engagement ring. You're saving for a house down payment. Right. You're saving for, for something that you'll need within the next three years. You don't need to be in the financial markets. That's right. And I think that is the key component of what he's saying. Not to avoid investing, but not to go leverage yourself. Take unnecessary risk when you might need this money. So understand you've got to be long term. And then you also need to understand your personality. So, uh, how often, Brian, do we talk to someone who says, oh, I, I have a huge risk tolerance. The market doesn't freak me out. I want to have a 100% stock equity portfolio. Uh, and what generally happens is sometimes when the market freaks out and we see a day where it drops by 1,100 points, they're the first person to call. Yep. You know, They may not really understand how well their risk tolerance is. And so one thing to understand is, even though you might be thinking you're making the best decisions because you understand risk and reward, and the more risk you take, the more reward you have, just like Warren says right here, that becomes completely derailed if you have an unsettled mind that doesn't allow you to make good decisions when it's really difficult to make those good decisions. We all have really high thresholds for risk tolerance when the market's making money. I mean, because we all, it's that greed. I mean, that fear and greed are just constantly in battle with each other. But I wanted to ask you, because... Warren talked about this last year, and then he's, he's followed up with the, the kind of the, the results this year, is that he made a bet. This is what's crazy to me. He made a bet in 2007 mm-hmm. that the S&P 500 would outperform any of the hedge funds That's or right. anything else over, over the next 10 years. What happened in 2007? What, what, what was going on? What was that the precursor to? Yeah, so uh, in 2007, everything kind of felt like it was rocking and rolling. The markets had been on, on a tear you yep. know, since the dot-com bubble. Uh, and so Warren came out and said, hey, guys, I think that uh, you, let's pick the biggest and best and brightest minds out there, you know, these professional managers who just are the wizards of Wall Street. Uh, and I'm willing to wager that if they build a bucket of their holdings versus me just putting a swath of my holdings in a low-cost, basically free S&P 500 fund, over the next 10 years, I think that my fund's going to do better. And what I like about this, the echoes with everything we just talked about with why you shouldn't try to time the markets. And even though, you know, he talked about the value of cash, you also should just have a systematic savings is that if we just put ourselves in Warren's mind in 2007, it probably looked pretty rich, mm-hmm. just like it looks right now is because 2007 is, if you could go look at it graphically, is right before we hit the cliff. That's right. So things are looking as good as they're going to get before you hit the next bear market. So that the timing is pretty spectacular mm-hmm. if you think about what has happened over That's since right. 2007. I, he didn't mean to do that, but just 
it kind of the lesson is learned there. So kind of tell us the rest of the story. What happened? Yeah. So so what he said is, uh, okay, we're going to do this, and then 2008 happened, uh, and then as it continued to build. Warren sort of broke out ahead because what we found was is that that low-cost portfolio performed really, really well. And so uh, I think this was I think this was in this, the shareholder letter this year. He said, if we look at um, the 43 10-year periods since, since Warren and his team took control of Berkshire, years with gains by the S&P 500 have always exceeded loss years. And said, more often than not, if you have a 10-year time, time period, the S and P is going to be up more than it's down. And it so, said a hundred percent, by the way. Yeah, that, the actual the quote is a hundred percent of the forty-three ten-year periods. That rolling ten-year period, right. the gains exceeded the losses. So, if you want to bet on a horse, bet on the hundred percent horse. Is kind of what Warren was saying. If you have that long enough, long enough time frame. And so, I, I tell people because I have a quote here that I wanted to read. A lot of you are probably thinking, okay, Warren is saying things might be overvalued. I need to start investing on a dollar cost averaging plan, but should I sit on the sideline because I'm nervous? Remember, 2007 was as good as it was going to get right before we fell off the cliff in 2008 with the Great Recession. But here's this quote from Warren. It says, let me emphasize that there was nothing aberrational or about the stock market behavior over the 10-year stretch. If a poll of investment experts had been asked late in 2007 for a forecast of long-term common stock returns, their guesses would have likely averaged close to the 8.5% mm-hmm. actually delivered by the S&P 500. Making money in that environment should have been easy. Indeed, Wall Street helpers <laughs> earned staggering sums while the group prospered. However, many of the investors experienced a lost decade. Yeah. And we, and coming out of the, the downturn of 2008 and, and the recovered it midway about March of 2009, there was all over the news reports. It was about the lost decade, mm-hmm. and you just heard Warren talk about if you just stayed the course, there's, right. that that shouldn't happen. So it's it's very valuable to understand. Don't try to time this thing. Uh, there's nothing wrong with having cash if you're meeting all those other goals, but make sure you have a plan that's taken advantage. Of I think this. it's really interesting. In 2007, this was not the bet that Warren made. He did not make the bet. I'm going to wait until the market pulls back, and then I'm going to put my money to work, and then I'm going to outperform the active managers. He kind of bought high. I mean, it w- what would have seemingly been high at the time, but because he knew that over the long term, the market tends to go up, and in the 10-year periods that he was examining, it went up 100% of the time, it wasn't a bad time to buy. And so we encourage that everyone that same thing right now. Even though the markets have done really well, your 15 to 20% should be going to work for you even right now. I thought it was, it was interesting is that he went through all this. It was a million-dollar bet. Mm-hmm. That's all it was supposed to be. It was That's a million-dollar right. bet. And here's what I think was so smart about these two guys. These are, you have the hedge fund guy and you have Warren, and the bet, bet's going to be a million dollars. So they each put up it was $318,000 because that's what you'd have to buy into the treasury that you know that was growing it with the interest and so forth to get to a million dollars over the next decade because right. you know, each are going to have $500,000. So. What is interesting is that because these guys are both sophisticated investors, some unique things happened in 2012 where this thing had captured a good portion of its principal well before 10 years. So these guys took their $318,000 investments that had appreciated in the bonds and then put it into Berkshire so that when this bet was actually paid out, they actually paid out $2,222,000. If that doesn't get you excited about the opportunity you have with your investments too, because realize 
you would have had similar results just by doing the S&P 500 right. as well with your portfolio. So just incredible to, to think about, essentially, if you add both of those up, $636,000, uh, that's what their combined investment right. to turn into $222,000, pretty 2. incredible. 2.2 million. 2.2 million. 2. 2 million, pretty incredible stuff to watch that money turn into that just over that decade that's period. Right. Really powerful stuff, shows you how valuable compounding interest And again, is. that had nothing to do with Warren Buffett's stock picking ability. Had nothing to do with timing the market. Had nothing to do with, it was just going out and staying simple and smart. And letting the money work for letting you. The money army of dollar bills getting out there and, and doing what it does. So I want to kind of close this thing out. I had a few things. We had a, I thought there was a combo tip that Warren kind of wound this whole thing down with. It was deferred gratification as well as understanding the nature of risk. Mm-hmm. Um, here, here's the quote. It was, there's several of these. It was investing is an activity in which consumption today is foregone in an attempt to allow greater consumption at a later date. Deferred gratification. That is deferred gratification. Risk is the possibility that this objective won't be obtained. Uh So that's the the thing. We always understand when we go out there and we take a little bit from today that we're hoping it will grow for tomorrow. And remember, we have done, and there's studies where where we've talked about this in other podcasts, for that 20-year-old that goes out there and saves $95 a month and just puts it in like an S&P 500, they're going to be shocked to find out that just doing that $95 a month by the time they're 65, it's worth a million dollars. And then they find out that I only put in like $51,000. Yeah. So where did the other 900, close to $950,000 come from? Came from the growth. Sure. I mean, that's what is so powerful when you just look at the mathematics of understanding you're just taking a portion of today to get something really miraculous mm-hmm. in the future through that compounding growth. But you have to understand the only way that happens also is you have to take a little bit of risk. You have to say, I'm going to take a chance that this might in the short term not work out very well. So down in the long term, I have better opportunities. And I thought that he did a fantastic job even framing up that risk. And again, this is a direct quote from the lady. says, I want to quickly acknowledge that in any upcoming day, week, or even year, stocks will be riskier, far riskier than short-term U.S. bonds. Right. But as an investor's investment horizon lengthens, a diversified portfolio of U.S. equities becomes progressively less risky than bonds, assuming that the stocks are purchased at a sensible multiple of earnings relative to the then prevailing interest rates. What he's saying is that as your time horizon lengthens, stocks are actually less risky than bonds. And that's because of the purchasing power. That's, that's because of what happens to the value of your money over the long term. And that's what I, I kind of want to close it out with, because I don't want anybody to read that and go, well, I turn, you know, 70 next week. <laughs> I heard Warren say I ought to just go buy the S&P 500. I think that this is where when you get to that level of success, there is this is where the art overcomes the science right. of what good portfolio management comes in. Because remember, just earlier, and even in this podcast, going over quotes from the 2017 letter to shareholders, Warren had talked about not how him and Charlie don't take more risk than necessary because right. you don't want to go and – Go leverage or take on more risk than you need to and jeopardize your, something you've already obtained, you which already is have, financial yeah. independence. So I, I think there is a balance you need to understand is that while you're retired, especially when you're retired, you're going to have to live off some of these assets. Mm-hmm. So you want to make sure that you have some liquidity, that you have a portion of the assets where you can go pull off of, but then you're in battle. There's a conflict. You're wa- walking a tightrope 
and the fact that you also want your money to continue to grow. Yep. So how do you know what's the perfect mix? What do you need to know that you should have liquid so you can live off of for the coming years? Because what if we have another 2008? That's right. It might take three to four years to get back to where you need to be. You need to have three to four years of assets we can pull off of. How's that going to happen? That's right. And that's what I tell you, that, that, and it's all individualized. We try to give you so much free advice on this show. That's the abundance cycle we've done. And we've turned a lot of you into clients because you've recognized, hey, these guys think about money a little bit differently yeah. than I've ever heard. And plus, they're so willing to share that you probably, when you get to the point of assets that you're having these type of concerns, it makes sense that somebody gives you that individualized attention because it's in, it, it's special for every one of you, you know. What's your, what's your risk profile? Mm-hmm. What's your risk capacity? Meaning how long can you wait because you need that money working yeah. for you that you can't even take the risk even if you have the tolerance? How old are you? What you are know, your goals? What, what are you your goals? Want? How much did you, do you already have working? How much do we need to help you grow mm-hmm. into? All this stuff is very customized. And so we'd love to, you know, we work with clients in the majority of the country. Yep. If you like what you hear, you like that we're nerdy enough that we actually get excited about Warren Buffett publishing his letter to shareholders every year, come check us out. You can go to moneyguy.com. You can um, reach out. We have a contact page. Mm-hmm. You can go if you want to see the firm we work with. It, it's Abound Wealth at aboundwealth.com. Yep. Um, we also love everybody. Just give us your email address so you can get tied in. We have a free giveaway that we're going to be doing soon. We just put the final touches on right. it. You guys are going to love it. I mean, this thing is if you're a person, because we don't try to work with everybody. We think a lot of you guys, before you get to $200,000, you can do a lot of this yourself. So we're going to try to even amp that up. We have some giveaways we're going to do for all those listeners who are trying to figure out where what they should be doing next, yep. and they haven't hired an advisor. We're going to hopefully have some tools to help you kind of do your research and know what you should be doing. So give us your email address on moneyguy.com. you got to go check out the YouTube so you can see. I said it in the last show. You can see... Man, it's hard trying to pick out what to wear. Oh, I'm sorry. Is that the YouTube they need to go check? Just go I'm check old it. enough I can get away That's with saying so I can say the Twitter. I can say YouTube. You know, the YouTube. The, the, the YouTube. I made it, I made it French. <laughs> the, the, the Twitter. You know, I can, I can say it all. You get to a certain age, people just smile at That's you. When it. I mispronounce words, they go, oh, bless his heart. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the thing that we can get away with here. But it, it really is. And I think you can also sense we're nerdy enough that we love this stuff. We go get all the best credentials. But we also, we don't talk to you like we're above you on this stuff. Right. And I think that's what a lot of you guys, no matter how big and successful you are, you want somebody that can be your partner in this. That's they right. can have those fireside chats about what are we really trying to do with our finances. So thank you for tuning in. We love the growth. We love the emails. We love the comments that you guys are giving us. Just stay in contact, and we'll be back shortly. I'm your host, Brian Preston, with Mr. Bo Hansen. This is The Money Guy Show. The Money Guy podcast is hosted by Brian Preston. Brian Preston is a principal with Abound Wealth Management. Abound Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Security and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with the securities laws and regulations. Abound Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Money Guy podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment or legal advice.